So the reading from this morning that kind of elaborated on the text, uh, I think it was from Richard Rohr, the reading uh, reminds us of an ancient idea. The ancients remind us of a common illusion that we carry. It's a trap that we human beings fall into regularly, being tricked into the idea that complete fulfillment is an option. We get tricked on a regular basis into the belief that complete consummation is actually available to us, that unmitigated happiness can be ours. And to that, the ancient wisdom says no. That's an illusion. It's a common illusion, but it's an illusion. Life has radiant moments of happiness. Life has moments of ecstatic experience, moments so bright and so luminous that they can take our breath away. But those moments are just that. They're moments. And they pass. And there are inevitably other moments. Life, the wisdom tells us, is always an incomplete experience of love. Life is an incomplete experience of communion and connection and friendship and family. And while life comes with moments of joy and delight and laughter, life also comes with moments of sorrow and irritation and tragedy. There are moments that are transcendent in our capacity to connect with one another and with the divine, and there are moments of deep isolation and loneliness, and all are part of the human experience. And Advent reminds us of that. Our tradition has made a point of reminding us of both sides of the human experience. Here's a quote from Henry Nowen. He said, Our life is a short time in which sadness and joy kiss each other. Sadness pervades all moments of life. In every satisfaction, there's the awareness of limitation. In every success, there's the fear of failure. Behind every smile, there's a tear. In every embrace, there's a loneliness. In every friendship, there is a distance. In all forms of light, there's the knowledge of surrounding darkness. And every bit of life is touched by a bit of death. This points us to the limits of our existence. This points us to the limits of our existence. It makes us look for a day and a way in which we can be fulfilled with perfect joy, a joy that can't be taken from us. And it is to that human experience that Advent speaks. Advent tells us that we live in kind of an in-between experience. The light of God has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. The demonstration of transcending life and love has been made known. But our daily lives are ripe for unfulfillment. We wait for the full realization of promise. We wait for the full realization of hope. And as we wait, we hold to hope and we carry sorrow. And as we wait, we hold to hope and we carry our unfulfillment. And as we wait, we hold to our hope and we grieve what is not fully realized. Now the sorrow texts in our tradition don't get as much press because, I mean, who wants to hear one of those downer sermons? But nevertheless, sorrow and grief and mourning and troubles are just as much a part of human life and are just as much a part of our tradition as are joy and pleasure and gladness and fulfillment. 
So without hearing the whole story, that's enough to make folks want to just curl up in a hole and pull the hole in over them. Because there are times when we read the texts about despair and we feel that deeply. But on the other hand, the central message of our tradition is hope. On the other hand, the central message of our tradition is promise. On the other hand, the central message of our tradition is a deep assurance, a guarantee afforded by those who've gone before us that life and light and truth and goodness prevail. So how do we reconcile those two? How do we live in a world of darkness and light? How do we live in a world of sorrow and hope? How do we live in a world of despair and promise? For many, these are days of sorrow. For many, these are days of unrealized promise. For many, the isms of our world seem to be winning. For many, it seems like the forces that undercut the lives and the hopes of women and Mexicans and Muslims and black lives and LGBT people are riding roughshod over love. For many, it seems that corporations are riding roughshod over a just political process and dominating our planet and undercutting the health of our water and our rainforests, the lungs of our planet. For many, it seems like short-sighted business interests seem to be riding roughshod over long-term goodness. And so, for many, this is one of the times that our tradition talks about. A time of sorrow, and a time of despair, and a time of unfulfilled hope, and a time of death looming larger than life. So here's the dilemma. How does our tradition both acknowledge our experience and the depths of despair and at the same time call us to the heights of hope? How do we navigate the dark times? How do we navigate the times of despair? How does our tradition both honor the darkness of human experience, the overwhelming power of sorrow, and the realization of hope in our lives? How do we get called forth to make things right that have gone wrong while at the same time acknowledging the debilitating power of darkness and death when it is all around us and even within us? How do we marshal ourselves to be carriers of hope and life and love and truth and goodness in the face of the reality of our human experience. How do we do that? Well, the how is often found in the tools that are left by our forebears. Knowing that I was going to be gone and knowing that I would be coming back around the holidays, I prepared this lesson a long time ago. I prepared it before I left for England and I prepared it before um, last week and was actually going to deliver this lesson last week in, in a different form. And so when it came to today, I thought, nah, I won't do that. I've got other things that I've already penciled in, things that I'm going to talk about. But I decided to do this lesson today because I needed this lesson. 
Because for me, this is one of the times of weariness. And for me, this is one of the times of discouragement. And for me, this is one of the times in which darkness looms more broadly than does light. And so I needed to do this lesson for me. I'm going to let you listen in. (laughs) Maybe it'll help you too. Because one of the tools that is given to us by our forebears to navigate this tension between the very real realities of darkness in our days and the hope and promise of our tradition is the tool of gratitude. Because gratitude, it turns out, is the fountainhead of hope. And gratitude, it turns out, is the wellspring of strength. And gratitude, it turns out, is an eye-opener. It opens our eyes to the promise that is set more deeply into the universe, more deeply than despair or darkness or fear or hatred. The intentional stirring of gratitude and thankfulness is one of the more effective ways that we access the light that helps us overcome darkness. It's one of the more effective ways that we access the hope that helps us overcome despair. And if we've got a job to do of making right what goes wrong, if we've got a job to do that it appears this moment in history has afforded us, we've been assigned a job that requires us to overcome despair and overcome darkness and overcome hopelessness, the intentional stirring of gratitude is just the tool for us. Because gratitude breeds hope. And hope breeds promise. And the promise of our tradition is that when we set ourselves to the work of the kingdom of God, light dispels darkness. And goodness overcomes evil. And love defeats hatred. So the intentional stirring of gratitude in our hearts, it's a pretty important thing. Now the Psalms exhort us to remember this practice. How many times in those very old songs do we read the line, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. But it's easy to forget. Gratitude It's easy to forget gratitude when life is going on and we get caught up in current affairs and we get caught up in injustices and we get caught up in circumstances and we get caught up on our jobs and we get caught up in our troubles. We get caught up in our personal lives. We get caught up in our national lives. When our circumstances loom large, it's easy for them to eclipse the vision of light and life and hope. And when that happens, our tradition reminds us of the ancient practice of gratitude. And that was the wisdom of the psalmist to remind us, to draw us back to this practice that will reconnect us to a broader understanding of the reality that we live in. A practice that will reconnect us to the spirit of God that is within us. A practice that will reconnect us to the driving force behind the kingdom of God being established and things being on earth as they are in heaven. This is one of the more practical disciplines of our tradition. It is a practical way to reorient our minds. I read a story about a flight that was delayed at an airport, a connecting flight somewhere in a tropical warm climate. And the flight that was connecting uh, people to their destination was delayed and then it was canceled. 
And as it was, frustration was filling the airport, anger was filling the airport, and people who had pinned really high hopes and expectations on their holiday getaway were complaining. Uh, the kids were complaining, all the adults were complaining, and while that was happening, filling the buzz of noise in the airports, another plane landed. And as these passengers deplaned on one of those really old-fashioned stairways that rolls up to the side of the plane onto the tarmac, these passengers got out with their hands raised. Some of them got on their knees and kissed the ground because those passengers had, uh, had been on a plane, the f- flaps of which were stuck and the pilot telling them that they might skid off the runway. And so with crash crews chasing their plane and the specter of a fiery death in their minds, they had landed safely. And so here were these two groups, one consumed by the frustrations of a flight delay, the other deeply grateful for another day to live and another day to love and another day to work and another day to be. The group upset that life was, wasn't what it should be and the other committed to making life what it could be. One blaming others for not fulfilling their responsibilities and the other newly awakened to their own responsibility to make things on earth as they are in heaven, to love well, to do what matters, and to serve something bigger than themselves. Because that's what near death does for us. It reminds us of what is important in life. And it reorients us to life as it should be. But the thing is, the group that was inside the airport loved life just as much as the group that was facing death. They were just as grateful for life as the near-death group was, but they hadn't been given the gift that the other group had been given. They hadn't faced the potential loss of their lives to remind them how grateful that they are for what they had. They hadn't been given the gift of near-death to stir them to handle what they had better. And that, it turns out, is why our tradition insists that we bring intentionality to our hearts and to our minds in the stirring of gratitude. Because life doesn't hand us near-death experiences every day. Consequently, we need to stir ourselves to gratitude, stir ourselves to appreciating what we have been given. So today I will encourage you, as I have been encouraging myself in preparation for today, and I'll do it from the outline of a sermon that was preached 130 years ago in England by a guy named William Sangster. And his outline had two points. It had three, but I'm only using two of them. The first point was common blessings usually overlooked and special blessings soon forgotten. Common blessings usually overlooked, special blessings soon forgotten. Because that simple practice of counting our blessings, that comes from an old religious song you might have grown up with. That simple practice of counting our blessings turns out to be an empowering practice that changes the way that our minds perceive the reality in which we live. And it's an empowering practice that helps us bring about the kingdom of God that has not yet been realized in us or around us. 
That simple practice of rehearsing our blessings, blessings both great and small, that, is so too, that are too easily overlooked or forgotten, this, our tradition exhorts us, is one of the ways that we prepare ourselves to be the people of God engaged in the mission of bettering this world, making things on earth as they are in heaven. So in Sangster's outline first, gratitude for the common blessings usually overlooked. One of my recurring contemplative practices and one that I encourage our community to practice on a regular basis is examine. If you don't know what that is or how to do it, if you go to our website and to the audio page and just put that into the search bar, E-X-A-M-E-N, you'll get one or two lessons on what the practice is and how to do it. But it's an ancient form of reflection that happens at the end of the day where we make space. We make space to quiet our interior worlds and assess the day through the lens of the spirit of the indwelling divine giving us eyes to see. And we do that by looking for God's peace or the lack of God's peace as it has occurred through our days and listening for what we learn. Well, the exercise has a series of questions that we ask ourselves, the very first of which is a question of thankfulness. We begin by asking ourselves, what favors of God this day have invited my gratitude? What favors of God have this day invited my gratitude? Which I've discovered in using this practice gives me pause as I stop and think about my day, as I begin to recount what I did through the morning, what I did in the mid-morning, what I did around lunchtime, what I do toward the afternoon and into the early evening. So for two or three minutes, I reflect on favors that I have received this day. Now some days, to be honest, I'm stumped. It's difficult for me to see any blessing that day. It's difficult for me to feel grateful about anything. However, there the question sits, evening after evening, insisting that I stir myself to gratitude. Well, for today, I went through some of my old files, and here are some of those common blessings easily missed, things that I typed out when I was doing examined earlier this year. I, I tend to do it, oh, six to eight weeks out of most years. Here's what I found. I found a deep gratitude for the warmth of my grandson sitting next to me when we're in the recliner reading Carl. Getting to watch my children's adult lives unfold and having them tell me about it. Our church having the funds to help a family that was in a real difficult place. There was a gratitude for a book that I read that gave me some deep, deep insight into my own life. A few years ago, my files tell me I was thankful for a new watch. I'm still wearing that watch, and I'm still grateful for it. I like it. Two years ago, I was grateful for a friend who was following the spiritual path and the joy that I felt of watching her life take shape as she began to deepen her spiritual experience. Again, common blessings. One evening, I was grateful for roasted almonds in a little tiny package from Trader Joe's. <laughs> Common blessings usually overlooked that examine helps us not overlook. Common blessings that when we intentionally remember has the capacity to stir us to gratitude. Common blessings that when we don't let them evaporate away, 
is one of the ways that we avail ourselves of the perception, the capacity to see what is always there that is instilled in us when we stir up gratitude. We begin to sense a deeper experience of the hope and promise that Advent promises us. Second, from Sangster's outline, gratitude for special blessings soon forgotten. I was telling a story to someone recently that caused me to remember something that I had too soon forgotten. Uh, I had a professor when I was in seminary who took me under his wing. I had a Thursday night theology class, and I was having that class at a time in my life when I could no longer believe in God. And so this professor would take me out after class every Thursday night to a hamburger joint, and he would answer my probing questions. He would field my angry uh, proclamations about the whole insert expletive religious tradition. And he helped me through what was a very rough time in my life. Now, in the course of those 10 weeks of that quarter, he couldn't help me believe in God, but he did create a space for me to be at peace and rest with my doubts. And he did create a space for me to hold still long enough to await a later experience that I had in my life that changed everything. It's a story that I often tell. It's why I say so regularly, God is good and we are safe. You've read the book, you've heard about that. So this professor's name was Dr. Sherbrin and he was a special gift. And I too easily and too quickly have forgotten that gift. Well, it was in the course of that conversation that someone else spoke up and told them, told about a woman that uh, she had grown up with in her childhood church back in the late 70s and the early 80s. And if anyone was sick in that community, she would help organize a meal. If anyone was having a baby, she would organize a baby shower. If anyone was having a hard time, she would get people mobilized in order to help that person. And my friend told me, I don't know that that woman knows how much she profoundly influenced the direction of my life because my life became a desire to be like her. And I made my decisions on the basis of how to be that way. And so now when I connect with people, and now when I'm able to help these people, I realize that I can trace it back to my experience of that woman when I was young. And after we spoke, you know what? She's still living. I think I'm going to write her. And I think I'm going to thank her. And I think it will take her completely by surprise because I think now that I know how this life is goes, I think she was just doing what she loved to do. And I don't think she realized how she set a course for my life. And I suspect that all of us have had someone in that special category, a special blessing soon forgotten. Family or teachers or mentors or youth leaders or friends, significant people at crucial times in our lives. And the intentional remembering, the intentional honoring, the intentional stirring of gratitude for those people in our lives those special blessings soon forgotten, that turns out to be a profoundly powerful experience for shaping us for times like the one in which we are living. 
because this is one of the ways that we avail ourselves of the hope and promise that we celebrate each year when we celebrate Advent. And so it is part of the rhythm of our community to bring a lesson on intentional gratitude at least once a year. Sometimes we will do several weeks on it because it is such a significant tool in the spiritual toolbox. And this year, I think it seems a particularly poignant reminder to stir ourselves to gratitude, gratitude for things large and small, being versus not being, living versus not living, loving versus not loving, having versus not having. And so I would encourage you to take some time now, maybe after the new year, Maybe you would incorporate for several weeks at the beginning of the year the practice of examine of consciousness at your day's end. Because again, our tradition tells us that we live in a world that is both. It is both darkness and hope, hopelessness and unconsummation. And it is hope and it is promise and it is fulfillment. And our tradition enjoins us to draw from the latter to be participants in repairing the earth, to draw from hope and to draw from the promise of Advent and to draw from the indwelling divine life, which is made possible, our tradition tells us, when we take up the practice of intentionally stirring ourselves to gratitude. I said at our community meeting last week, I don't know what will happen in the next four years and I don't know what will be required of us as Christians. I don't know what we will have to stand up to and I don't know what we will have to stand up for. But whatever will be required of us, we will need to draw from the hope and promise that is embedded in us because the Spirit of God indwells us. We'll need to draw from the hope and promise that is celebrated each year during Advent. And intentional gratitude is one of the ways that we tap into that bedrock of our tradition. Intentional gratitude is one of the important tools that we have been granted for times such as these. So thank you, Lord, for life and for being and for somethingness instead of nothingness and for practical things like food and warmth and health. And thank you for the gift of touching and being touched and for seeing and being seen and knowing and being known. Thank you for this season. And may we in this time be reminded of the ancient intentionality bringing our hearts to take up the lens for seeing by being intentionally grateful and thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.